Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Well, good morning, Simple Church. Good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome. My name's Aaron. I'm the lead pastor here at Simple Church. We want to say thank you so much for being here today. In fact, if you're a first-time guest with us, thank you so much for choosing to worship with us this morning. Uh, in fact, this round of applause is for you. We love to let our guests know they are welcome, so thank you for being here. We appreciate you being here. We are in the middle of a series, and I'm going to get to that, but first I just want to say thank you to all those of you who came out to Christmas on the Town yesterday, whether that was just to come and attend, and a lot of you stopped by and said hi, or others of you, we had an incredible team uh, that came and served, and they they took care of the food at Cotner, they took care of the games, they took care of the coloring contests and the prizes, and uh, that was an incredible blessing to our city. In fact, I know that we have families that choose to join us as a result of our involvement at Uh, Christmas on the town. So it's a wonderful outreach for us every year. So thank you very much for doing that. Uh, Very excited to be able to do that. It's it's wonderful to be out in the community loving on them. So thank you for that. Uh, So this series, The Struggle is Real, man. We call it that because guess what? The struggle is real. It's real. And what we're looking at through this series is the, uh, what, what's happening with technology, how technology, social media, and the internet in general is, is impacting our relationships. It's really important that we acknowledge, hey, technology is great. We love that we're more connected than ever. We love that we have access to super cool apps and that, that I, can, I can send a message to somebody really fast. We, we love all these things, and it's great to acknowledge that those are good things, but we also need to be very, very aware of what technology is doing to us, how it's influencing our hearts and our minds. And so that's what this whole series is looking at. Last week, we looked at its impact on our ability to be content. Because we're looking at Facebook, we're looking at Instagram, we're looking at everybody's highlight reel of their life online. And what happens is we look at it and we start to compare it to our own. And if we keep on doing that, doing this comparison game, we get stuck in a trap that makes us feel very discontent about our own life. Like everybody's got it better than us. Like their life is better than mine. And we start to wish that we had theirs. We become jealous. We become envious. And these are places that are, that are not healthy for us to be. In fact, the Bible just straight, straight up calls it demonic. And, uh, and so we, we look through what that, what that means for us and how we can learn to love our race and to love the life that God has given us now instead of looking at somebody else's life. And so that was last week. If you weren't here for that, you can hear all that on our, our app. I would encourage you to get that, the podcast. The messages are all there. You can follow us on iTunes at Simple Church Ohio. But all those things will be a blessing to you. You can listen to them throughout the week. Catch up as you spend some time on the treadmill. So this week what we're going to do is we are going to look at how technology... Right, some of you said treadmill. What are you talking about, right? <laughs> Come on, Aaron. Are you listening to it on the treadmill? Yeah. Sometimes. Anyway, so, so this week we're going to look at how technology has impacted our relationships. How technology has impacted our relationship. Again, it's a wonderful thing, uh, th- this technology, Facebook, Instagram, all these things. And don't think that I'm poo-pooing any of those things. I think they're wonderful. I think it's great to acknowledge they're, they're the, the enhancement of our lives 
Uh, but I think we need to proceed with caution in how we use them, be aware of what's happening to our minds and our hearts, because it's really easy to become isolated because of technology. It allows that, right? You don't order a pizza anymore. You don't even have to call anybody to order a pizza anymore. You know that? They got an app for that. You can get right on an app and dial in what you want on this thing and push a button, and somebody shows up with that pizza at your door. Next thing you know, it's just going to be delivery. They're going to just drop it at your door, ring the bell, and walk away, because you can tip on those things, too. You can tip right on the app. You never have to see a person. In fact, I've left a note on my door before. Hey, uh, just, just ring the bell and leave it. True story. Technology is allowing this. But, but here's the truth. Here's what we know from reading our Bibles. is that It is impossible for us to follow Christ in an isolated situation. We are called to be believers that follow him together. We're, we're to be in this spiritual community. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 is our basis for today. And, uh, and it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deed. There's that little phrase that says one another, right? That requires you to be around people, okay? There's tons of, of these one another's throughout the Bible, and you can't one another yourself. You need people in your life that are following Christ the same way that you are in order to one another them. And this one, it says, how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So there's this idea of a spiritual community, believers that are together. It continues on. It says, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. How many of y'all know that people skipping church is like 2,000 years old, right? It's, it's not a new thing. People have been doing it for a very, very long time. It continues and says, but encouraging one another. There's that phrase again. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, you see that day, it's a capital D. It's referring to a very specific day. It's referring to the last day, the day that Jesus returns, that he comes back for his saints, those that are alive and those that have fallen asleep in death, the day that Christ returns. Now, this is not a message about eschatology or, in other words, the study of the end times. I've, I did a message on that earlier this year. It's in our series called Daniel. If you want to listen to that, it's called How Will It All End? You can hear about all those things, but I do want to point out that it's very important that we understand what the times will look like. What will that day look like? Because the Bible talks about it, and I'm just summarizing here, but that darkness will get darker. All around us, our world will get darker, and that's a really good thing. See, I don't want to bring you down first thing at the beginning of the message. It's kind of a, a good thing because when darkness gets darker, that means that the light that is shining gets brighter. Y'all ever been in a pitch black room and you see the smallest light? It's like it illuminates the whole place, right? And so that's, I think this is our time to shine, this end of times. But, but we need to be aware of what's happening. The Bible talks about that people will become fragmented. They will become isolated and separated from one another. And so it's so important that we realize this is what's happening in the world around us. It's happening now. And I think it's important for us to begin to fight for our relationships. Not in our relationships, but to fight for our relationships. Because technology has called, caused us to gravitate towards becoming isolated individuals. That's why the struggle is real. We're all taking part of it, and we're just kind of just letting it happen to us. We're slowly becoming isolated individuals, like slipping into a warm bath. We haven't even realized that it's happened to us. And so I think this, this spirit that is causing this is a very anti-Christ spirit. It means it's very anti-Christian. It's anti the way Jesus would have us be. In fact, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 3 says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Hello. Does this sound like today? Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving. This is our current world. 
This is, this is what happens when we have this social media mindset. Everything becomes all about us. And technology and social media and all these things, they feed this selfish worldview. And I believe it cripples our ability to be in relationship with people. It just cripples us. And so I think we need to show caution. It's okay to use email, technology, all this stuff. Again, please don't feel like you need to, if you're on Facebook and I walk up, you need to hide it. Like, no, that's not what, that's not, that's not what I'm saying at all. I just think we need to approach it with a healthy awareness. I think we need to be aware of, of what it's doing to us and, and make sure that we don't go from allowing these things, because they, they can enhance your life, they can enhance your relationships. You know, my mom's like, hey, how come I didn't know you were doing this? Hey, how come I didn't know you were doing this? Well, now I post it on Facebook. She and I are on Facebook, and that's enhanced our relationship because she can see pictures of my kids and stuff, like, immediately. That's wonderful. But when we allow technology to go from enhancing to defining our relationships, well, that's a very different story. And we need to be careful that we guard against that. When that happens, when it defines our relationships, we'll make a few unhealthy exchanges here. And the first one that we'll make is we will exchange intimacy for efficiency with people. We will exchange intimacy for efficiency, if you're taking notes. God has called us to live in close relationship with each other. He's called us to have intimate relationships, but culture is, is completely opposite of that. I think today, we're even, everybody would say, I'm more connected than I ever have been before, and yet I'm so isolated. I'm so isolated. The stats on this say that, that the average American has about 383 friends on Facebook. About 383 friends. That's average American. But if you were to pull them and ask them how many close friends they have in real life, the answer is two. The saddest number that I have heard as I've gone through this study is that 25% of Americans, that's a huge number, guys, 25% of Americans would say they have no close friends at all. That's sad to me. But that's the culture. That's what we have, what, what this... This online world has created for us a disconnected community that is connected more than ever. If you look at high schoolers, 30% of high schoolers say they would rather not talk to you face-to-face at all. They want to have all their interactions, and they do, with each other in some kind of online platform. They'll have 10 conversations going across five different platforms all at the same time, but they can't look you in the eye and talk to you. They're losing the ability to communicate. If you find a high schooler and you were to ask them, how are you today, and they give you eye contact, winning, like, you know, you have met one of them that understand how to, how to have a conversation. But most of them won't even look up from their devices. They'll just answer, fine. They don't do what Dr. James Dobson calls returning the ball. See, returning the ball is something you teach your kids. Like, your conversation goes, I throw you the ball, you throw it back to me. I ask you how you're doing, and then you say, how, I'm fine, how are you? That's the way a conversation goes. But, but kids are losing the ability to do this. They're losing the ability to read social cues, They're losing it because they have lost themselves in this online world. They're lost in their devices. They're not socially functional. They hide behind their screens, and they have efficient relationships, not intimate. I know what's going on in most of your lives. You know why? Because we're friends on Facebook. That's very efficient for me as a pastor to know what's going on in your life. But an intimate relationship means that I would know what's going on in your life because it's likely I've been there with you or that we've had coffee and we've talked about your world. It's different. It's a very, very different thing. And so we're trading in. Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Do nothing. That means don't have a relationship out of selfish ambition. Don't get into it for what you can get out of it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. 
Consider others better than yourself. When your relationships are all about you, you trade that intimacy for efficiency. Another exchange, uh, as we become people who are, are, are exchanging the enhanced world and, and allowing it to define us, one of the other exchanges is that we will exchange genuine for the immediate. We will exchange, exchange genuine relationships for immediate. What does that mean? Well, there's new diagnoses that are going to be introduced into culture. You're going to start hearing them. And they're based on the fact that scientists are realizing that people are becoming addicted to technology. They're becoming addicted to the tweet. They're becoming addicted to the news feed, to everything that's going on in your phone in the online world. We're becoming addicted to it. If you don't think you're a, you're a tech addict, get a text message and don't look at it. Let it sit in your pocket. Some of you are going to go into convulsions and start twitching a little bit like, oh, dear, it might be something important. Probably not. Probably not. Others of you, you don't even have your phone in your pocket and you got your leg vibrating. You don't even know what it is. It's like a ghost thing. Your body's picked up a new skill, right? Everybody ever feel that before? Phone's not even with you and you got a vibration. <laughs> we're becoming addicted. And the reason they believe we're becoming addicted is because technology, that immediate gratification you get by getting online. See, we crave intimacy. We crave relationship with somebody. But what we do is when we crave that, we get online. And we get immediate response online. We get this immediate feedback online. And so this, this terminology that they're coming up with, uh, they call it deferred loneliness. And they're saying that, it, that it's, it exists because when you get online, you get on, on technology and you get onto social media and all that, and you get that immediate feedback, it releases a chemical in your brain called dopamine. Dopamine is what makes you happy, makes you excited. You want to you do the things that release the dopamine in your brain. And technology does that. Online interactions do that for you. Like, let me ask you a question. Have you ever worn an outfit that you were pretty sure people were going to look at and go, that's a nice outfit. That's some nice shoes. That's a nice jacket. You ever worn anything like that? And you, you, get, a, you get dressed and you go out and you walk around and nobody says anything at all about your new outfit. Doesn't that just destroy you? But with Facebook, now we can put that new outfit on. We can suck in our gut and angle that camera the best way so nobody sees our double chin. <laughs> and we can take that perfect picture and we can post it online. And what happens? Immediate gratification. People, hey, I like it. I like it. It looks good. You look beautiful. That's amazing. Where'd you get that shirt? Oh, this old thing. Got it on sale at Walmart. You being all humble, you. But they say that, that those likes, the responses we're getting, releases dopamine in the same way that a lot of things in our life, like eating, uh, anything that causes pleasure. And so we are, become addicted to the buzz. We become addicted to the response. We like it. We want that immediate feedback, and so we are exchanging it. We're exchanging it. Instead of engaging and sitting down and having coffee with somebody, engaging in relationship with somebody, we, we get the instant gratifications of the likes and the comments on our deuces and duck lips. But we crave genuine relationship, but settle for immediate responses. Let's be honest with ourselves here. When you're online, you're not really being honest. You're not, you're not just what you portray, but even how you interact with others. Right? You see somebody's out on a date with somebody, and you're like, those two shouldn't be together. Like. So, so glad I'm not at that event. Like. Right? We look at these things. We're not even being honest 
about what we're seeing online. Somebody's in a, in a picture, puts up a picture of a bad dress, like. You know what Facebook needs is an honesty button for us, is an unlike button, right? Now let me change your world. It's not in my notes, but I'm going to change your world. I have learned that you can like somebody's status, and then you can click unlike. Here's what that does. You can click the like button again, and it doesn't show that you've liked it. It sends them a notice that you liked it, and then when they go to look and see if you did like it, your name disappears. So that's the unlike button, okay? You click like, and then you click unlike. That's all you do. Just click like, click it again. So change your world. Change your world. Let them know, Aaron must not have really liked this. I'm confused. Why did I get a notice he liked it? His name's not on the list. But we're not really honest in our interactions online. Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Look, if you've got people that are constantly commenting and liking your status online and that's your only interaction with them, those are not your friends. An enemy tells you that you're great all the time. They don't care about you. Like, like, like. Some of you are going to stop liking my statuses now. <laughs> Look, I'm not coming down on you. I'm just saying that's your only interaction with them. They're, they're, they're not your friends. We need environments where people can be honest, would do what the Bible tells us to do, which is speak love and truth. That's a difficult thing to do in text. That's a difficult thing to do on Facebook is speak the love and truth to people. It's really hard. They don't, they don't receive that well. Why? Why don't they receive that well? Because, well, because when you put something in text, oftentimes tonality is removed. They, they don't understand what you're saying. Has anybody ever heard the phrase, well, it's not what you said, it's how you said it, right? It's tonality. People understand things with how you said something, but when you take that how and you put it in text, tonality is gone. I don't care if you use emoticons or not. I don't care. You remove that. So the best way to speak the truth and love to somebody is face-to-face. That's, that's just the best way to do it. you got to stop doing it in text messages. Bosses, if you're here, stop correcting your employees in emails. Go face-to-face with them so that they can understand you. They can see your facial cues. They can understand your heart in the matter instead of sending them emails. Just, 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 I'm helping, trying to help you out. That's all I'm saying. Just trying to help you. But text can't do it. At, at best, you can do it over the phone. But, it, but your, your, your ultimate situation is face-to-face. Excuse me. So we settle for convenient versus patient relationships, which is the next thing. When we let technology define us instead of enhance us. We settle for convenient instead of patient relationships. And patience is a distinguishing mark of a godly relationship with somebody. That's that's a wonderful thing. Look at Ephesians 4, 2. It says, be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. There's that one another kind of thing. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. But this online community, these, these Facebook and the Instagrams and all those stuff, what they do is they create a culture. They create a world where it's all about me. I'm in control here. I see what I want to see. I hear what I want to hear. I can block you out. I can, I can completely block you. I can unfriend you. I can even unfollow you. I only want to see what I want to see. I can like it if I want to. I can dislike it. I can comment or not. You can send me a message on Facebook. Like if I'm standing here and I ask you a question, it's kind of awkward if you waited two or three days to answer me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but on Facebook, I can send you a message and you can look at it and go not even going to read that because then it's going to tell them that I read it and then it's just weird. Then it's just weird because I'm not responding. You know what I'm saying? We could choose. We create this world that is all about us. It is me-centric. But real relationships, you can't do that. 
right? In real relationships, you're going to have to put up with some stuff because let's be honest, everyone here is crazy, and I am the king of the crazies. I am crazy. We are all crazy. But the online platforms create like a utopian world. We see what we want. We hear what we want. But real relationships, how many of y'all know real relationships have conflict? They do. They have conflict. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, when you get married, one of the lines that you say is, for better or worse. Why? Because it will get worse at some point in time. It'll get better, but it'll also get worse. Promise you. And that, that conflict is okay. It helps you grow as an individual. It helps you become a stronger individual. Develops your character as things work out. Look, if you grew up with brothers and sisters in your life, I did. Anybody else have sibs growing up? Anybody else have difficult sibs growing up? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Look, that is God's plan for your life. You just need to accept that, that those people were put there to pester you and annoy you on purpose so that you can grow as an individual. And when you get out in the world, you will be prepared, right? Because you grew up with them. Y'all are quiet right now. I'm not sure if you were the one that were annoyed or the annoyer. <laughs> so maybe, maybe that's why y'all are quiet. But, but we have to learn to be, to be patient with one another. Must be patient. So if we're to have Bible-based, godly relationships with people, what does that look like? Well, Jesus said this in John 13, 34 through 35. He said, a new command I give you, which it really wasn't a new command, hear me. This was, that was an old thing, love people. It was love God and love people. That was the command all the Jews understood. This was the summary of the law. Jesus isn't giving a new command, but this tagline that he adds on to it makes it brand new. He says, a new command I give you, love one another, period. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus raises the bar. Why? How so? Well, because to love like Jesus loved? Do you know Jesus? Jesus was patient. Jesus was kind. This is a guy who was sacrificial. You say, yeah, yeah, I get it. He died for me. No, 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 no. Let's back it up. Let, let's back up the story a little bit because, see, Jesus was enthroned in glory, seated in heaven, and he laid that down. He literally laid the life that he had down and said, I'll consider it nothing. It's, it's nothing to me for them. I'll go do it for them. I'll, I'll lay all this down. Some of you all are thinking through your mind, you know somebody else that would lay down their life for you in an instant, somebody you can call. This is Jesus. This is how he said, you need to love people this way. He loves us unconditional. This is how we're to love each other. This is the call. Look, Jesus demonstrates this when he's being betrayed by Judas. He heads to the garden, and this is where he prays, and Judas walks in, and Jesus knows what's coming. He knows that he's being betrayed, and watch how Jesus addresses Judas when he walks through the garden gate. Hello, friend. How many of you could do that? And yet this is the love that we are to demonstrate for each other, that even in the middle, not like it's been a year since you betrayed me, not like it's been 10 years and I've had time to think about it and be angry at you and post all kinds of mean statuses about you on Facebook. In the middle of being betrayed, you could look at your betrayer and say, hello, friend. This is Jesus. This is how he loved us unconditionally. And he calls us to this level to love like he did. And the next verse tells us why he called us to that. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There's that one another again. You need people in your life to love. The distinguishing mark of our lives would be how we love each other. We need to learn to be unselfish in our relationships. 
not in how we attend church. The distinguishing mark isn't in how we attend church. It isn't where we serve or whether we're in a grow group or how much we put in the offering plate. It's not even the fact that you've got a simple church sticker on the back of your car, which some of you need to take off your car. I've seen you drive. (laughs) Not helping us any, people. Just kidding. But it's not found in these things. The world will see how we love one another. And they will be drawn to it. What's different about you? They'll see the way that we sacrifice for one another, the way that we forgive one another, the way that we are patient with one another, the way that we serve one another, and they will be drawn to it. What is different about you? And what you'll say is, Jesus is different about me. He has made a difference in my life. It has changed everything about me. I am this way because of him. It will give them a spiritual hunger for him. That's what we call being the shiny around here. The world will see our love for one another and spark a desire for Jesus to shine a light in the dark place. So I think there's a shift that is needed in our lives. A shift that is needed where we shift from a world that revolves around me to a a focus on others, from self-serving relationships to serving in our relationships. So how do we practically do that? What should our relationships look like? Well, Jesus kind of gives us the four things that that, that our relationships should be in two short verses, and I'm going I'm to lay them out for you real quick. Mark 3, 13 through 14, he says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So the first characteristic of a, of a godly Bible-based relationship is that they're intentional. One of the most important decisions you will make in your life is who you're in relationship with. Seriously. Young people, if you're in here and you're listening... The most important decisions you will make in your life is who you're in relationship with. Why? A wise man said to me many years ago when I was in high school, he said, show me who your friends are and I'll show you who you are. You'll never be able to rise above the level of the relationships in your life. It's the truth. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Truthfully, those of us who who are a little older, we know that, that the sum total of our life is the influence or the impact that people, negative or positive, have had in our lives. We are a result of the people that have been in our lives. And so this is important. We need to be wise in who our friends are. We need to be wise in who we choose. We can't just say, well, you're my best friend because, well, I was in class with you in third grade and we sat next to each other and that's just it. That's the reason. Or because I was sat next to you at work, you know, we had assigned seats and you just became my best friend. Or maybe, maybe you think you have to be best friends with your family members like because you, you share the same DNA. Well, we have to be best friends. No, you have to love your family. You don't have to be best friends with them, because some of those relationships are bringing you down. In fact, Timothy tells us, in, uh, in, uh, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee the de- evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those. See, that's another one another. That's together. Pursue it along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We need to be inviting people into relationship. We need to be in relationship with people who are on the same journey as us. On the same journey, living in purity before God, Jesus was intentional. That's the first quality of our relationships. The second one is that they need to be mutual. You look at that verse again, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and he drugged them up the hill, kicking and screaming. <laughs> it's not what the verse says. Some of you are very confused. Aaron, <laughs> what version are you reading from? Because I'm thinking, it says they came to him. This is a mutual response. He called them, they came. 
They desire to be with him. Because how many of you know life is too short to be in a relationship with people who don't really want to be in a relationship with you? It's, it's too short, short to worry about that. Your relationships need to be mutual, mutual. They need to want to be in a relationship. They need to desire to be in a give and take position in your life. Because it's impossible to have a deep relationship that has meaning and value with a selfish person. It's impossible. You can't do it. If you're unsure if some of the relationships in your life are selfish, here's your test. Next time you're going, with some, going through something, call them up. Have coffee with them. If in the first three minutes of you sharing your heart and pouring out what's going on, the conversation turns to them and they just take off talking about themselves, you're in a selfish relationship. There's your test. If every conversation you have with them is always about them and it doesn't turn to you, you're in a selfish relationship with somebody. There's no give and take there. They're not interested in your life. But we need deep relationships. We need to find mature people who are unselfish to share our lives with. We need to do that. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're in a relationship with somebody that's selfish, selfish people need you as well because there needs to be somebody to be the light and say, hey, life can be different. It can, it can be very, very different. So don't, don't, don't think you need to go home and unfriend a bunch of people and say, hey, don't ever call me and block them. Like, you know, you don't need to do that. But what I, what I would encourage you to do is not allow them to be the people that are closest to you, your confidants, the people that you're going to lean on because they're not going to be there when you need them. You need to build relationships with people that are, that are unselfish. Same thing with young kids is demonstrated here. Your kids who are little, can you tell them everything that's going on in your life? Can you share all your pains and your trials with them? No, you really can't be that transparent with young kids. Why? Because they can't handle it. They don't know how to empathize with you. They don't even understand what it is that you're going through, right? Because honestly, we're all born selfish. We're, we're born concerned about ourselves. I want this. I need to eat. I need to do that, right? And like a two-year-old who's off playing by himself and needs to go to the bathroom and starts bearing down, is not thinking about how bad this is going to be for dad in a minute. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they're not. They're not concerned. It's all about them. And some of you are in relationships with people that are just like that two-year-old, where they are bearing down and making a mess of your world and don't even care that you're going to have to clean it up. They don't care because life is all about them. 1 John 3.18 says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, let us show the truth by our actions. You need to be in a relationship with somebody that's willing to show you they love you by their actions, not just by their words. So we need intentional relationships. We need relationships that are mutual. The third thing we need is relationships that are available. People that are available to be there for you. Jesus, the verse says, he appointed 12 that they might be with him. That they would be with him, in person, with him as he walked this earth, present, because there's power in presence, and Jesus understood that. And I think that we are losing the idea. We are losing our belief in the power of presence. We're losing it. This online world is taking that from us. And we need to be aware of it because we can't underestimate the value of human contact. Are you aware that infants, when an infant is born, if it does not receive physical human contact, it can die? That's the power of just being touched. The power of presence Face-to-face -face relationships are healthy, and we need it. Jesus completely understood this, and he fully demonstrated his understanding of presence when he came to this earth. One of his names is Emmanuel, God with us. He wasn't a God who stood in the heavens and said, hey, guys, I love you. He came to where we were, and he showed us he loved us. He walked with us. He became us. This is the power of presence. 
demonstrated his love for us. Back to that, our founding verse, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Together. It's the power of presence. We need to be together in order to do these things. And we have to be very careful because it's easy to be isolated. It's easy for us to be all alone and not have people around us and still yet engage with the world. But we lack people's presence in our lives. That need doesn't go away. It just gets, the itch gets scratched a little bit. But it's never satisfied. It's one of the reasons we have grow groups. We believe that, that when you get into a grow group with people, man, you get face-to-face with people. You can get to know somebody. Sure, on Sunday mornings you can come here and you can get to know people's names. I can go around this room and name your names. Mainly because you're wearing name tags and it helps. <laughs> just kidding. I love you all. But you can go from knowing somebody's name to knowing their story, and oh, that's when your relationship changes. And we do that in our grow groups. We begin to get intimate with each other when we're spending time with each other face-to-face, not just in online arenas. Our lives begin to change. They begin to shift. To be honest with you, Pastor Tim and, and Amy and my wife and I, we, we will always go out when there's somebody sick or there's somebody that is broken. We will call and check on you. Or if you're in the hospital, we, we're, we want to go and visit. But I have seen more often than not that when somebody is hurting and they have been a part of a grow group, that, that grow group jumps up and says, what can we do? How can we do it? Let's get them food here. Let's go to the house. Let's take care of their animals. Let's go to the hospital and visit them here. Grow groups. Your circle of friends rallies around you. And that starts with face-to-face interactions. You don't gain relationships like that when you're isolated. You don't have a crew of people that are there for you. Some people that you can call in the middle of the night. My dog died earlier this year. I have relationships with people that I know I can call on any time. At 2.30 in the morning, I called one of my friends. Hello? My dog just died. I need some help. I don't even know what to do. Do you want me to come get him or you want to bring him here? I'm going to bring him there. I want to take him for one last ride in my car. And from there, they blessed me. They took care of the cremation of my dog, gave me my ashes, even gave me a little bookmark with his paw prints on them. I wouldn't have that if I didn't have deep relationships with people. We need that kind of stuff. The power of presence. We can't underestimate that. I remember when we first started the church early on after we planted, we had tragedy strike and one of our members passed away in the middle of the night and I couldn't believe it because I just talked to him a few hours before and he was a young guy. And I remember getting that call with a young woman on the other end of the line sobbing. She was driving, and I didn't know what to say. I had to preach the next morning, and I came in, and I didn't know what to tell to my, my congregation. I didn't know what to tell people who were broken. I didn't know what to tell her. I stopped by her place on the way to church, and I walked in, and where people were standing around, they didn't know what to do either. But I thought, I'm a man of God. I'm a pastor, right? Like, I'm a Christian, I should know what to say to somebody who's hurting in these circumstances. I should have some kind of verse that I can say to them that makes it heal up and they stop crying right now and everything should be okay. This is how I felt. I felt insufficient. And I walked into that room and I sat on the floor with her. She cried. That's all she did. I couldn't even tell her it was going to be okay. I didn't know that. And to this day, of all the things that she talks about in my interactions with her during that time, you know what the most powerful thing to her was? 
my presence, being there with her. She said, you didn't say anything, you just sat there with me. People need that. You don't get that in isolation. You don't get it. And I learned something from there. I'm not asking you to pat me on the back. I'm telling you what I learned was the power of presence in that moment. They just needed somebody to be there with them. Opportunities will be presented to you on a regular basis, and you can choose how to respond. A text is okay. A phone call is better. But if you want to impact their lives, give them your presence. Show up at their door in the middle of their trial. So let's just sit. Drop everything for them. Be a part of their life. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. That means at 2 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. Listen, you need to have people in your corner. People in your corner who have got your back, they're present, they're available. That will say that, that they will love you the way that Jesus loved them. We need to be intentional. We need to make sure that our relationships are mutual. We also need to be available in person. The last thing we need in our relationships is that they're reliable. In that verse where Jesus called the disciples to him, he called them to him for a reason because he knew he was going to send them out. He knew he was going to send them out to preach, that they were going to minister, and he knew that he needed to be able to count on them. We all need to have friends that we can call and count on at any given time, people that will get out of bed for us, people that will be there for us through the difficult times, the happy times, through all those times. The richness of those relationships in your corner will make an incredible difference in your life. You'll be able to do more than you've ever been able to do before. You need to have others that love you like Jesus, but you also need to be willing to love them back the way Jesus loved you, to make that sacrifice. Setting aside your technology, that may seem like a huge sacrifice. And as I've been processing this message and what it means for me, because I'm not just up here to share it with you, it needs to impact me first. I've changed the way I'm interacting socially online. Of course, you're still going to see me active out there, but it, it's changed for me. I'm aware of what's happening to me. I'm aware. I don't want to be inundated with lots of information about you. I want to know you. It's causing a shift in my heart and my life. But setting aside that technology may seem like a huge sacrifice. It will be. It will be. But the fruit of having intentional relationships that are mutual... That, that are available and reliable is incredible. You will not regret stepping down from some of your social media platforms, from stepping down from your, your internet, or even maybe sitting your phone down and walking away from it. <laughs> Saddest thing to me is going out to eat, and I'm not creepy. I just watch people. <laughs> and you'll see families that are sitting at a table, father, mother, kids, None of them are looking at each other. They're all looking at their devices. And that's the saddest thing to me. Dad's on ESPN, mom's on, on Pinterest, or maybe you're in a family where it's just the opposite way around. You know, mom's on ESPN, dad's on Pinterest. But the kids are all pounding away on their games, and the relationships are just suffering, and they're not even aware of it. They're not aware that they're losing time with their kids, and the kids are not aware of the time that is slipping away from their parents and the skills that are slipping away from them. It's sad to me. It will take sacrifice to have godly biblical relationships, folks. But Jesus said this. He said in John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his cell phone for his friends. It's not what it says. It says that he laid down his life for his friends. 
We need to have relationships where we love people. We're willing to be inconvenienced by those 2 a.m. phone calls. We're willing to lay down our lives. You say, Aaron, does that mean throw myself in, in front of a bus or in front of a bullet? No, that's not even what I'm talking about. I'm talking about laying down your plans, laying down your desires, what you want, laying down your free time, laying down that TV show you want to watch, laying it down and getting in relationship with people. Deep relationships, mature relationships. It will be so worth it. You say, but I'm not going to be able to take part. I'm not going to be able to stand around the water cooler and I don't know if people even do that anymore, but and talk about the latest show or I'm going to miss out. Maybe. You can miss out on some of those experiences or you can gain some incredible relationships and they'll be way more valuable to those. I promise you. And in the end, the reason we do this is not just so that we can be in deep relationship with people. It's so the world can identify us they will know you as my followers by the way that you love one another. That's the end goal, isn't it? Isn't the end goal to share Jesus with the world? Say, this is what's made a difference in my life. Great, learn how to love people. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, first I want to speak to those of you who are followers in this room, followers of Christ. And you'd say, today, Aaron, if I'm being honest, people wouldn't look at my relationships and want what I have. Somewhere along the way, I've made my relationships about me. I've become isolated in my worldview. I need a change of heart. I need to repent and let Jesus once again make me brand new in this area of my life so that I can love others as he loved us. So the world can see and desire Jesus through me. I want to be the shiny. If that's you and you're here and you're a Christ follower, would you put your hand in the air and let me know, Aaron, that's me. Pray for me today. Thank you. That's awesome. That's awesome because this is the point where things begin to shift. You can put your hands down now. Thank you. This is where things begin to shift for you. I'm going to pray for you now. Father, I pray for every person in this room. Lord, I pray that you forgive us for allowing our relationships just to be convenient. That we're, we're choosing to respond to what's immediately in front of us instead of engaging in meaningful relationships. Lord, help us to desire intimacy with others, Lord, and not to find it in, in things that are efficient and convenient. Lord, we've exchanged what you've designed for us for a false. We've accepted something that's false. Forgive us for that. Turn our hearts to you. And as we love others, may it be that we love them the way you've loved us. Forgive us, God. We need your power. We need your strength to do this. Let us be the shiny. Now, for everyone else here that's in this room, you'd say, Aaron, I'm not a Christ follower. My life is, and, and everything relationally, is upside down. I've been living for likes and longing for love. But God made the greatest display of love by sending his son to be in relationship with you today. And the first step of making every relationship in your life right is by making the relationship between you and God right. That's the first step. If you want to have those healthy relationships, you need to take that step. And you can do that through Jesus today. He'll transform you. He'll make you brand new. So if that's you and you're here today and you say, Aaron, I'm not a Christ follower, but I want to take this opportunity. I don't know how. Well, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to be included in that prayer, I'm happy to include you. Would you let me know that you're here today and say, Aaron, I want to accept Christ. I want to make Jesus 
Lord of my life. Would you just put your hand in the air and let me know that you're here? Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's awesome. Anybody else? Thank you. I'm going to give you the words to pray. They're very, very simple. These, this is a prayer you can pray every day, but it's also the way you begin a relationship with Christ and is by asking him to be Lord of your life. If you decide to pray this on the daily, you say, Jesus, be Lord of my life today. But it goes like this. You can pray the words out loud or you can pray them in your heart. You just need to mean them. It says, Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you came to this earth, lived a sinless life, died on a cross and rose three days from the dead. I believe you did all that for me to forgive me, to make me brand new. Jesus, give me your spirit. Show me how to live for you and I'll spend every day doing that. Restore and make my relationship with my heavenly Father brand new. Be Lord of my life today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.